This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Geierhalter. You can't uh, put a statement up in today's world uh, which looks nice on paper, but isn't the reality, I think. Uh, you have to uh, live through your values in, in, in every way and, and show it. We have been from day one open to everyone. Uh, any day, anyone can come and visit. We try to get the chefs, we try to get the buyers, but we just any customers that comes and visit can, can come and visit us and, and see the production. Uh, and, and these things are something that we are trying to get uh, through to people as they are buying our product uh, uh, on, on, on a website, but, uh, and they should see it uh, through all, all that we do in, in, in branding, I think. This was Bjorn Steiner Jonsson, who runs the Saltwork brand. I really don't know where to start, but let me just start by saying that I was so looking forward to having him on the show. Saltwerk is located way up in Iceland and is using geyser water as their sole energy source to hand harvest their salt. The salt is amazing and I've been a fan of theirs since last year. My blood pressure is likely seeing new heights, but my taste buds take a vacation in Iceland every time I drop another Saltwerk crystal onto my food. Björn's story of harvesting salt is just so wonderful. But his empathetic viewpoints on sustainability, on trust and purpose are simply inspirational for any brand builder, marketer, and simply any consumer listening. But before we dive in, I have some big news. Starting this month, I will provide a scholarship for a deserving bootstrapped startup to take my online brand strategy intensive, which is usually 649 bucks. If that is you, head on over to tinyurl.com slash scholarship and apply. I'd also like to thank the latest supporters of the show, Valentin Fernando Arendar and Rana Hassan, who became Creative Circle members, and Connor Gavin, who joined the Golden Circle. Join them. Get my personal consulting advice for 15 bucks instead of 350 and support the show by going to patreon.com slash hitting the mark to do so. All right, enough of that. Head on over, do your stuff and start listening to my wonderful, inspiring conversation with Bjorn. Welcome to the show, Bjorn. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure having you. You're, you're calling in from the beautiful country of Iceland, where I made some fond memories myself. I was up in Budir, actually, which, which seems to, to be like half the way up to the West Fjords uh, from, from Reykjavik, where I think you're located right now. Um, yeah. it, it, it's such an unbelievably breathtaking place. And I have some wonderful friends up there, but they're actually way up there in Akureyri. So I don't know if I said <laughs> this right, but they're like way up north. So I am really, really thrilled to have you on the show um, because I, I love what you're doing. Um, you took it upon yourself um, to pick up where the Danish king left off when he established 
salt making in Iceland. That was in the 18th century using geothermal energy to produce salt. How did you get into this? Was it a fascination with salt, with food, with sustainability, or a love for, for your country? Tell us a little bit about the story, because it is very unique for you to get into salt, salt making. Uh, absolutely. I think, I think uh, a combination of the things that you mentioned. So uh, I, I lived in, in, in Copenhagen for 10 years, so got a little of perspective from the outside. Uh, and, uh, and I think for, for Icelanders and maybe for, 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 for citizens of many other countries, when they go abroad, they, they see their own country and their own place uh, from another perspective. And every, every summer I came back to Iceland, I learned to appreciate appreciate the very same things that uh, that you mentioned which is so beautiful about Iceland it's the nature it's going into the countryside and you know I'm from the capital not from uh, the remote location where we have our production but but this is something that I got fascinated to uh, and in Copenhagen when I was uh, started uh, started to live there Things were starting to happen around. Uh, I was studying engineering, uh, and you know, this is in, uh, around 15, uh, 17 years ago, uh, around 2004 or 5. And uh, sustainability uh, in manufacturing press processes was something that uh, came across me during my studies. But then also there was something happening with food in Copenhagen uh, in 2005, uh, a restaurant called Noma uh, starts uh, mm -hmm. with using Nordic ingredients. And I saw them being using ingredients from my home country, uh, Skir, uh, which is an Icelandic yogurt that's, uh, that's actually big now, uh, also in, in, in the United States. Uh, and, uh, and there were things happening within coffee, where you have the, had the third wave coffee makers in Copenhagen Coffee Collective someone like uh, Blue Bottle in the, in the US. Uh, yep. Within microbreweries uh, from Copenhagen, there are some pretty strong brands, uh, which, And these were things that fascinated me just as, uh, as a foodie. Uh, I was uh, uh, a local at uh, the Mikkeler uh, brew pub, which is in my neighborhood, and the coffee collective uh, coffee shop where they were taking uh, the transparency around uh, where the sources are from the product they were making and taking that to the next level. And, and I think from this and also from the fact that so in Iceland in 2008, there was a, uh, a, there was a financial meltdown in the, the Icelandic economy. And, oh, that's and right. So in, yeah. the year, uh, in the years after and when I'm about to finish my studies in Copenhagen, then um, there weren't abundant opportunities to do something in Iceland if you wanted to. And, uh, and so I think uh, the idea is, uh, uh, is something that comes to me under these circumstances and these influences. I wanted to do something where, you know, that uh, originated in my home country. And uh, there was, uh, uh, as an Icelander, I knew that geothermal energy is something that could be exploited here in Iceland and could be used. And, and, and through that and through my interest in food, I uh, initially over a cup of coffee <laughs> discussing with, uh, with a friend, uh, why isn't there salt made in Iceland? I mean, we're an island, we have these uh, geothermal energy and, 
And then I stumbled upon the story of the old uh, salt production by the Danish king hmm. in the 18th, 18th century. And I think that's a, a snowball that in the summer of uh, 2011 uh, got me to just try uh, and see if this could be done. And that was it was just a, a path project, if you if you could say so. Yeah. It, it's just something that, you know, I just wanted to, I, I just spent my summer vacation uh, away from school, seeing if this could be done uh, in a small scale. Took me a week to get the first uh, 200 grams or, you know, 10 ounces of, uh, of uh, hmm. sea salt uh, by using the geothermal energy. But so like the first five days, nothing was happening. And I was like, probably almost giving up. Then uh, salt started to form on this small little salt pan that I made. I took that back to Reykjavik, uh, and the very first thing that I did there was to take it to Dill Restaurant, which is Iceland's only uh, Michelin-starred mm -hmm. restaurant today, uh, where I was acquainted with the head chef, and I just like came into his kitchen and said, like, hey, this is a soft that I made. What do you think about it? And, and he was amazed. Uh, I said, go back and make some more of that. And I think that's <laughs> sort of the snowball that starts rolling 10 years ago. That's really amazing. Um, let, let's talk about your process. So on your website, uh, which I would invite every listener to go through to get a good sense of your brand's unique story, you state the following. You say, during this whole process, we used 206 degree Fahrenheit or 93 degrees Celsius hot geyser water from the hot springs of Reykjanes, where we use it in the preheating, boiling, and drying process of our salt. Geothermal energy is the sole energy source used, which means that during our whole process, we leave zero carbon footprints on the environment and no CO2 and CH4 emissions. This is unbelievable. I mean, you know, and, and you even use the geothermal energy to heat the building, right? I mean, everything is basically yeah. completely, um, completely sustainable. How did you... I mean, how, how did, obviously, there's one thing to, to, to actually be able to, to you know, to, to get salt. Um, it's another thing to actually, you know, create, create this infrastructure up there in, in a very remote area. I mean, you know, when my listeners go to your website, they're going to see some pictures or in Instagram, they see like how remote it really is and looking it up on a map. I mean, we're talking, we're talking about remote that most, most people in, you know, Central Europe or, you know, like in New York or San Francisco couldn't even, even gasp. Um, how how did you experiment to get this all right? I mean, it's, you know, here in Silicon Valley, we just, you know, we experiment and create test pages and, you know, you know it's like, oh, and does the, does the project work? But with that, I mean, one thing you get salt, but then how do you, how do you actually create, create this quote unquote, you know, little production area facility? I don't want to call it a factory because it's far from it, but, but how, how did you, how did you start creating this? And I mean, you started, you talked about the very beginning of the experiment, but how did that keep going? You, and, and did that information, was that information being handed down from generation to generation for you to, to, to pick it up? Or did you literally just have to kind of learn everything from scratch? I think mostly, I mean, we, we just had this idea that because it was done before uh, and that uh, this long time ago, uh, we could reinitiate uh, uh, that process. And then we had the idea, and you know, I guess from my engineering perspective uh, background, then you know, I had this idea that this production system, uh, if you call it that, uh, and you know, all of these processes uh, uh, that we could 
still uh, do with uh, the geothermal energy, which was abundant of, and it was basically just, and that was what fascinated me in this uh, so remote location that I came to. You just had the hot water coming from the ground, no hmm. one using it. <laughs> and uh, and that's uh, it was something like you know this is a resource resource that should be used, and uh, that becomes a driving factor. And from that moment, everything is uh, testing and trials on the scale one to one, with all the failures that that mm. includes. Uh, and you know, I guess as as you probably uh, know in the Silicon Valley, then. Uh, a lot of your tests are going to fail. Uh, <laughs> and exactly the same uh, applies here. And, you know, we've just been... It's about enjoying that right, uh, which com comes with all of the backfalls uh, of, you know, and we've, you know, we've done... We've learned a lot on how to do this. Uh, we just try and, tr and try again, and reiterate <laughs> and iterate until uh, uh, until we, you know, succeed with what we want to do in each part of the step. I mean, I mean, we last week uh, I spent most of the week with my colleague, uh, where we were uh, working on 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 some improvements, and you know, it's. It's long days there, but in a beautiful nature, and and so rewarding when you when you finally succeed with a small step. But that always comes after a after a few steps of failures. Well, and the success wouldn't be wouldn't be as beautiful if there wouldn't be the failures, right? I mean, imagine no, there no. wouldn't be failures. <laughs> you know, it's like we wouldn't Absolutely. even know what success was, right? Um, Absolutely. So. Uh, on 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 your Instagram uh, page, I saw that you were a long time ago. I think um, you were at the food show Expo Vest in in LA, which you know is is obviously one of the biggest food shows in the world, um, and it's right down the street here from us in, in in Long Beach. How important are U.S. sales to your brand at this point? Um, is 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 U.S. a really big uh, part of your part of your consumer um, you know uh, percentage at this point? It's becoming uh, a larger and larger part uh, of of our business, uh, and uh, I would assume that uh, this year, as the year starts off, uh, and as the last quarter of last year was, because of huge growth uh, that we had in uh, online uh, or e-commerce uh, in in the US, that it would probably be half of our business this year. Wow, that's that's amazing, and 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 so to play devil's advocate, um, sustainability is such a key ingredient of the Saltwork brand story, right? How, how do you how do you balance that out with obviously? I I mean, Iceland is is an is an island. You're remote. Um, you obviously have to ship your product. There's absolutely no way around it. Um, how 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 do you feel about that that carbon footprint? You know that 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 is being left because of that. You know, um, and 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 how you actually produce produce your salt. Absolutely. I mean, uh, that, that's something that we do uh, do put uh, consideration into. Uh, we have since 2015, we have with a local organization here in Iceland uh, offset uh, the, the CO2 footprint that, that is generated uh, of our uh, oh, wonderful. Yeah. business. And, and that is, uh, so they do a calculation of that uh, where, I mean, essentially it's only the logistic, it's only the transportation. Yeah, uh, but then, then also uh, it's uh, it's about the choices that we make and how we uh, 
transport our product. And we simply, uh, for example, refuse to ship our products by air because uh, they don't need to. It's not a, a, a fresh uh, food, so, you know, salt has an infinite uh, expiry date. True, so yeah, we yeah. Ship, it, ship it only by sea, which is a huge difference in the carbon footprint. Uh, to do it by sea uh, with boats instead of uh, instead of by air, uh, and we also and that, that that's why we say uh, no to a lot of uh, opening up to a, a lot of market. UK. Yeah. Our own web shop is only open for Europe and the US because the, in these places we have warehouses and are able to ship by sea to the warehouses and then it's uh, uh, distributed locally. We don't have open for any you know for any far markets, Asia, Australia, even though yeah. we get a lot of requests from these markets, as we just don't have uh, the resources to be able to to set up uh, operation, which we see that makes sense to us. Uh, Iceland is located, I mean, middle between Europe and, and, and North America, and we have decided to focus on the markets of Northern Europe, so Scandinavia, where we are selling, and then uh, to the US. So it's the markets that are closest mm -hmm. to, to where we are uh, uh, currently. And uh, and then, uh, you know, we're doing the offsetting, uh, as I said initially. So this is, this is something we put a, put a thought into, uh, yeah. for sure, uh, and, uh, and, and find it justifiable uh, to... Uh, also, because if you look at in uh, in uh, the product cat category we are uh, making in we also have uh, we have some flaky sea salt producers that are using natural gas or other resources that leave a huge uh, carbon footprint and i mean just to give a perspective uh, you you need uh, 20 liters what's that to uh, i don't know how many gallons it is you need to boil down 20 liters of seawater just for a small pack of our, uh, our salt. So there's a lot of energy involved just in the process of evaporating the seawater. But, you know, we are just using a natural resource that's coming through and, you know, it comes into our system and it goes out of the system. We, we you know, we're just working in, in harmony with, with, uh, with the nature at source. I, I absolutely love this. And of course, you give this a lot of thought. And, um, you know, I, I, you know I, I was wondering as a consumer coming to your website and reading the story and then afterwards, okay, I'm going to shop, I'm going to buy one, right? And, and then here I am in LA. And, it, and there's something about this transaction that just feels, you know, it, it, it goes a little bit against that brand story. But I, I love how, mm. you, how you give this so much thought and how you ship it in containers and, and, and you know, you have your warehouses and, and everything is this. Uh, and then you offset that little bit of carbon footprint in, in, in the way... Um, uh, it, it, it's fantastic. I've been, I've been using salt since since December. Um, now I also use Himalayan and Mediterranean, all for their own purposes, mm -hmm. right? So I'm, I'm definitely mm -hmm. one of the few salt connoisseurs amongst regular consumers mm -hmm. who is absolutely willing to pay, I don't know, 20, 30 times more, you know, for 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 saltwork salt than uh, regular mm -hmm. supermarket salt. Um, mm -hmm. Business Insider had a whole video about this price difference, but but seeing how. And knowing how your salt um, is is being harvested by hand makes the twelve dollars per char not feel expensive in my eyes at all because <laughs> you know it, it it just it just doesn't because you know the story behind it and the taste and the difference and you know you know all of that but a lot of brand strategy is about positioning and pricing um, how did you how did you go about 
pricing when you positioned your brand. What is too much? What is too little? How much do you simply have to charge to make salt work a sustainable business? Um, there, there are a lot of questions like that. Like, how do you price salt? Absolutely. I mean, uh, initially, uh, we probably did the mistake that, you know, many, many do that, at least doing a physical product. You know, we, we uh, you know, undervalued how, how difficult we, you know, we thought we could produce more at a lower cost, etc. So, you know, that, that was some, some steps in the beginning that we, uh, that we didn't really uh, uh, catch uh, how, uh, how much of an effort it would be. And uh, then you have some, some reference points. What we uh, have then done is that uh, I, often, I often tell the story of when a retailer, and you know, we traditionally, we started out with selling to retailers, uh, you know, retail chains, high-end retail chains in, in Scandinavia, loca locally and in Denmark and other markets. And, uh, uh, and then uh, you have this bargaining, you know, you're a small company starting up and, and, and here comes the retailer which has 100 stores or 200 stores and, and he wants to bargain with you. And I, mm -hmm. I told to all of them, uh, hey, before we start talking about the price, come, I'll, you know, if you, if, you know, I'll, I'll buy your ticket, come and I'll drive you to the West Church and I'll uh, let you harvest some salt and then we can talk about the pricing. Excellent. And I, I managed to get uh, some of our customers this way just to go to the West Church, see the remote location and understand where the product, you know, the origin of the product and what effort is behind it. And then the understanding of, uh, you know, what bargaining they want to do, this conversation becomes totally different. And it did, you know, also because how, how fascinated they were, you know, coming to the beautiful nature of the West Yards. And, you know, you could say it's, uh, you know, partly a, a, a sales trip. But, I mean, it, it just took the, uh, that conversation to, uh, to a totally different level of what is fair to pay for this product. And I think also... The trans, you know, what you're also paying for is the transparency and the trust that, uh, I mean, from day one, and I think, you know, I was looking at food manufacturing and, you know, there were some documentaries 10 years ago about how uh, some different types of food was uh, made where, you know, people couldn't see. The first thing we did to the building where we put our first soft pan into was to change the door uh, into a window so people could always see in. And that was sort of, uh, uh, you know, telling the transparency of, you know, everyone can come here and see. And it's been like that from day one. <laughs> That's really that's really awesome, and and I mean the story behind the brand is is half of its success, right? I mean, obviously, as as a connoisseur and you know as a foodie and as a as a chef in a Michelin star you know restaurant, you can taste the difference and you can feel the difference. But as as a, you know as as someone who is just buying salt for the restaurant chain and they want to have something that's a little more higher end. Um, they need to feel that story. They need to be a part of it. And and I saw that you had you had a lot of chefs up there too. And you do this regularly. Um, and 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 it's a it's a it's a really smart thing to do. Um, let's talk a little bit about your products. So you've got six products. One is the pure flaky sea salt. Um, but then you also have birch smoked salt, lava salt, Arctic thyme, seaweed, and licorice salt. 
there must be a limited amount of salt that that either you can produce or you're willing to produce, um, or or can you actually expand on various salt blends? Like, how far will you or can you take your production, given its location and and, and reliance on on natural resources? Yeah, I mean, I think I think within uh, within the product range that we have uh, uh, right now. We are uh, comfortable uh, with that and don't see. So, I mean, these products, they either have a, a reference to uh, where we are from, from Iceland. We have the seaweed, we have the Arctic thyme, which only grows in Iceland, Greenland and the Faroe Islands, so only in the Arctic region here. Uh, <laughs> we have the burk smoke. That's a tradition in Iceland that we use traditionally for lamb here. Uh, so we are smoking it in the same way as... So we started to learn that from a farmer, and then we have our own smoke uh, facility. Hmm. Then we have the licorice. That's a traditional thing in Scandinavia, in, in, in candy and sweet, uh, sweets. It's not something that uh, comes from here, but it has a cultural reference for Scandinavians. Uh, so uh, we wouldn't want to do something that, you know, I, I don't see myself ever making let's say lemon salt or you know mm -hmm. so, something that that doesn't have any either cultural or, or or natural reference to to iceland and and that's also partly because also these ingredients we're working with the arctic time we get it from a farmer and there's also limited uh, resource uh, available of of, of that uh, so uh, or the seaweed which is comes uh, is uh, harvested uh, and is, is, is wild seaweed harvested here in Iceland. So, uh, uh, so it's, it's definitely a limited, uh, limited production to, in, in, in so many means, but also something we set ourselves some constraints about. Uh, we don't want to expand in any direction just for expanding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that puts a whole different meaning to the overused uh, phrase of farm to table, right? I mean, you, you, <laughs> yeah. you really, it's, it's really, that, that's how it is with what you guys do. Um, I, saw, I saw you did an Instagram takeover with uh, the restaurant Amas in, in Copenhagen, where I was fortunate to eat a few years ago. Um, I, I understand, you know, studying in Copenhagen for you, that, that, that you became a foodie. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing, yeah. it's an amazing scene um, up there. And yeah. you're, you're also yourself um i believe the co-owner of a michelin bib winning restaurant in reykjavik um so it goes without saying that salt work is indirectly linked to some of the greatest restaurants in the world how has that how has the global pandemic um affected salt work uh, did you start pushing direct to consumer much more during during as a result during the pandemic yeah so i mean in in the in the first uh, wave of uh, of uh, covid last uh, last year we uh, basically march april uh, i mean we saw we saw our uh, sales uh, you know those two restaurants which been a big you know big an important part of our business uh, basically we suffered just like all all our partners mm -hmm. and we uh, we felt that continuing uh, but not to the same extent. In the second part of the year, uh, we, uh, you know, it, it's, it restarted in a way. And we've also been seeing uh, the thing about all the restaurants that we sell to. And it's just started with me visiting the kitchens and, you know, giving them samples and ask, just ask them of their opinion, the chefs at uh, the restaurants, Amas, Noma, etc. Uh, 
and then they become a user and then uh, a chef who comes there in the kitchen uh, he starts to work in another restaurant uh, restaurant and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and then he wants to order uh, order our product so i guess we haven't been hit uh, on the restaurant side we haven't been hit uh, as much as restaurants in general have done because uh, uh, we uh, we just are seeing new customers coming in more and more, more people uh, wanting to use our salt instead of something else uh, then organically you know we started doing direct to consumer in 2017 uh, through our webshop uh, but also on uh, uh, on Amazon and so that's uh, was something that we started to put as one of the channels I initially uh, when starting the business I always said that I didn't want any single customer and then I was thinking about the retailers we were selling to I didn't want any of them to represent more than five percent of our sales just because you know I didn't want you know if uh, if, if one doesn't want to and and it's especially important with the with the retailers because uh, if they become too big of a customer then they have a leverage on you in terms of pricing I just couldn't we couldn't do that because we simply can't with the remote location we're producing as with all the work that we put into a product and uh, and so that's uh, you know that we started working on uh, on e-commerce in 2017 and in 2018 it was uh, representing probably less than one percent of our uh, <laughs> revenues uh, but uh, but growing at a fast pace and uh, and and that we had spent three years on that was was in hindsight a, a really good decision once yeah. uh, things happen as last year with uh, with the pandemic because uh, because as I said I mean in the US our sales is uh, mainly online and that's probably going to be half of our business this year so uh, yeah amazing amazing well just wait until this episode of the podcast airs you know it's going to be up to <laughs> yeah. 60 70 <laughs> percent yeah, well, you know you already mentioned this but um you know i i always like to ask founders on my show when when they look back at at, at how they had their idea and then suddenly the idea actually turned into something more when did they know that wow you know it's like i i, I think i think i've got a brand here i don't think this is a startup anymore this is actually turning into a brand when was that moment for you i mean you you talked about the, the first big moment, which was literally handing over the salt to to the only you know Michelin star restaurant in 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 Iceland, and saying, "What do you think?" And he was like, "This is amazing." I mean, that's obviously one of the big breakthroughs. But when did you feel like you know you were actually turning into it, it, into a brand, you know, into into something where, where people would ask for it? I, I think I, I think I could mention a couple of things, uh, uh, and uh, I mean, we used from day one uh, restaurants to get feedback and to improve on our product. And uh, in in the first years uh, that we were making our salt, and I mean, our product has improved throughout the years. I mean, uh, uh, just by using this uh, feedback from, from chefs. Uh, and it took us a few years to, to get uh, a restaurant, uh, you know, which was on our target list, no mine, Copenhagen. In the very first years, they, they weren't, uh, they didn't want to use our salt. Uh, they said uh, it was uh, not consistent enough uh, with some of the parameters of how we were trying it, etc. Wow. And we, we didn't want to change it out. We improved on those things. And, and then, uh, I guess, four or five years ago, they... Uh, uh, all of a sudden say yes 
uh, now you nailed it. We want to use your software. We just <laughs> like we just took the feedback and said, you know, just thanks for for giving a feedback, and yeah. we'll we'll try to improve uh, and, and use the, the the feedback that we get from you. But I would also say another thing. I mean, we did uh, in Iceland locally farmers market for six or seven years, just because. On the retail side, when your product is on the shelf of a, of a store, you don't get the customer feedback. Mm-hmm. Yes, you get something through social media, you know, but that's maybe biased. It's only your super fans, uh, etc., that are there. Uh, but uh, but these markets, and then once we start, our direct-to-consumer business started to to build up, then all the positive reviews that we get. Uh, there and uh, and which is funneling organic sales and all the messages that I give to the salt makers. We we all have everyone at this company have a job title of us being a salt maker, uh, and you know I, get, I give it to the employees in in uh, up in the West Hills. Uh, I send them when we get feedback from customers. We get emails from customers where people. Again, again, saying you know this is the only software I want to use, and hmm. I, it 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 makes so much difference for 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 me and in my uh, so I guess these uh, product feedbacks, either either it's from a professional or from a uh, uh, or from the retail customers, is what uh, sort of gives this uh, a turning moment mm-hmm. for me. But also, it's, it's also the most rewarding thing. Of course, of course, absolutely. That's what you. It's it, it's again. I think it goes back to our conversation earlier about failure and success, right? Um, yeah, yeah. That the two go hand in hand. I I think it is just so wonderful to hear that Noma said no in the beginning because that's. I mean, literally, it's in the name. Noma is supposed to say no in the beginning. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so much their brand, right? Um, and and yeah, I, yeah. you know, I but 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 that is really you know, and that idea that you started at farmers markets. I hear that from uh, from food uh, entrepreneurs here in the U.S. all the time and they say the same thing that you say where it is so important to stand you know eight hours five hours at the farmer's market get the feedback you know just sell you know like like 30 40 50 jars it doesn't matter it's about that personal interaction where you can actually that's you know that's that's your that's your product um you know that that's q a <laughs> you know i mean that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's it, product it, development really it, it's it's finding a product market fit which is so important yeah. for every business and uh, and you don't uh, do that otherwise then it was never uh, about the revenue that the farmers market gave to you it was always about the feedback that you could get and take both the negative and the positive absolutely absolutely what is um if, if you could if you could take the saltwerk brand um and, and kind of distill it into one word it's 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 something that i always like to ask my founders because it is so difficult and i work with my clients on this to to really say like what is one word that could describe your brand inside out right um the entire the entire brand philosophy the product how could you distill it into one word what what could be one word that could describe saltwerk uh, not a sentence, a word you want. It, you, you can give me a sentence too. It's, uh, yeah. you know, you're my uh, guest. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I could say a few things. So, you know, I, I guess either transparency or uh, sustainability, uh, or I often like to say what you see is what you get. And, hmm. you know, that sort of uh, puts those, uh, those things into the, it, it can sort of, 
include the both both yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I really like that. Um, your your visual brand is very understated, uh, as it even demands to be, perhaps. But but still, you're branding Saltwerk through the stories you tell, the partnerships you keep, you know, the press you generate, and the products you sell. What does branding mean to you? And 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 I want to add to this because some listeners might have overheard this before. But you said that you were actually an engineer, or you studied engineering, which which now makes so much sense of how the entire brand came together, right? Because it kind of mm -hmm. takes an engineer to to figure this out. But but after going through this entire journey, um, and now being where you are, where you're at with 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 your brand and and selling it to you know the the best restaurants in the world and and the connoisseurs around the U.S. and uh, and Europe, I would say, um, what does branding mean to you? It's such a strange word. It's it's so overused. It's very often also misused. Um, what does it mean to you? In today's world, it's so uh, personal. People demand. Customers demand that they uh, ha get the personality of a brand through uh, what are the values, as I said, uh, our values about sustainability, uh, the trust uh, that the customers have in what you see is what you get. Uh, I think these things and, and things that are basically ingra ingrained in your organization, uh, you can't uh, put a statement up in today's world uh, which looks nice on paper but isn't the reality, I think. Yeah. Uh, you have to uh, live through your values in, in, in every way and, and show it. And that's what I said. Uh, we have been from day one open to everyone. Uh, any day, anyone can come and visit. We try to get the chefs, we try to get the buyers, but we just any customers that comes and visit can can come and visit us and, and, and see the production. Uh, and and these things are something that we are trying to get uh, through to people as they are buying our product uh, uh, on, on, on a website, but uh, and they should see it uh, through all, all that we do in, in, in branding, I think. Uh, but then that's a, a task of every day to, to be able to communicate that and scale it. And scale it, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, it's 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 obviously easier when a brand has been instinctively and organically built with with that with that foundation at the heart of it, you know, which is sustainability, it's transparency, it's you know, it's it's basically you know what you see is what you get. Um, with that philosophy, it's very different, you know, um, instilling this into companies where where they lost it, but they still have it at the heart, but they lost it. And I think I think that's really I think it's really fascinating. Um, and you're absolutely right. That's what brand Branding is in 2021. You know, it is all about shared values. It's all about transparency. It's all about making it making it personable because we want to relate to a brand um, again. Um, totally agree. What's What's next for 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 Saltwerk? Uh, what are you excited about in the next six months? It's been It's been a rough ride. Um, you know, the, with the pandemic for everyone. But um, you know, what are you excited about? <laughs> I guess for now, I mean, I'm I'm most excited about being able to. Uh, to travel and visit some of our partners, some restaurant partners that have had a, a much more harder time than, than we've had and, uh, and try to uh, see and support them in, uh, in, in any way that we can. Uh, but also to continue and to improve on, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about that. And I feel we just 
starting about uh, working with uh, uh, exactly these things uh, that I have been mentioning uh, about telling the story of what transparent we are uh, mm-hmm. in our uh, operation, about getting more visitor, about making, you know, we're working with a local agency of, of making content. We're going next week uh, with the crew to take uh, videos uh, of our production to, to be able to show people so they can come on a virtual visit in, uh, in, and see our, uh, our soft production uh, in a better way. Uh, and we feel that we are just starting uh, these things. And then uh, there are so many things that we can do uh, to improve on, uh, on our uh, operation in terms of sustainability even, you know, and, and the world is changing a lot there also, you know, in terms of packaging, in terms of uh, uh, which what is the best way to offset the, the footprint that you generate and, uh, and so on. So uh, we've got our hands full of, uh, <laughs> of, of, of things that we're excited about uh, in the future. But I guess uh, I hope that uh, we will see in the second part of this year uh, people, uh, uh, once uh, vaccinations have been rolled out, people will start to be able to travel to some extent again. Yeah, absolutely, and and I love I love what you said about uh, telling the story even more so than you do, right? Um, you know, I think that there's a a, a huge opportunity, and and, and customers mm. just love to hear that. Um, and and I'm 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 just I'm just so happy that you're excited about what's next, right? <laughs> because it seems like <laughs> there's there's like there's like you know the sky is slowly opening up again, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of amazing uh, amazing things around around the corner. And talking about you know social media and you telling your story, um, where where can people find you if not you know, if if not, you know, on location, which most of them can't, um, wh- where can they find you online? So they can find me on uh, on Instagram or, or Facebook or uh, or through our website, saltwork.com. Perfect. Uh, and that's, or anywhere uh, into the brand Saltwork. And that's Saltwork with a with a V, spelled with a V. Yeah. And um, that's where everyone can find you. Well. Thank you so much, Bjorn. Uh, this this uh, this gave me a lot of personal uh, joy and satisfaction having you on this this show. It was wonderful hearing your hearing your stories and getting your insights about uh, how you run uh, your sustainable brand. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Really, really fun talking with you. Saltwork. What a brand, what a story, and they're just getting started to really share what they've been quietly up to. And I hope you will support them and taste the difference and look back one day knowing you learned about Bjorn and his passion through this lovely little show of mine that looks at branding through a human and founder-focused lens. I always say this, but perhaps this time you'll act upon it. Come on, hit subscribe, rate, and share the show. Hitting the Mark is produced by my consultancy, Finian, where we create clarity for brand transformations. This episode was edited by Everett Barton, and the Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time, when we once again will be hitting the mark.